This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. Well, good morning, River Church. Happy New Year. Everybody feeling new today? New Year, new you? No? Everybody feeling about the same? My birthday is in a couple days. I'll feel a little bit older, I guess, but that's about it, right? And who made a New Year's resolution this year? Raise your hand. I want to see him. Come on. Come on. There's more. There's, there's a bunch of liars in here, I can tell. Who has already failed their New Year's resolution? Yeah, those, there's the hands are coming up. I see it. Well, good morning. I'm excited to be back with you guys this week. Joel did a fantastic job last week, didn't he? Y'all give it up. Didn't he do a great job? Amen. Um, he shared some great New Year's resolutions with us, some good insights. I love um, the challenges that he had for us as we head into uh, the new year. Um, I have a New Year's resolution challenge for you today as well uh, that I'm going to share with you. Um, but it's going to, I'll share that with you a little bit later as we kind of get in, because today we're starting off a new series entitled Jesus the King. And it's a series that I've been looking forward to probably for about several months, probably maybe even the, back to the summer, that I've been looking forward to doing as we kicked off the new year. And uh, what it is, if I, if you haven't heard me talk about it before, is basically it's a book I read. And so I'm just going to basically just steal a whole bunch of stuff from the book by the same title, Jesus the King. And so I would actually encourage you to g- grab the book and read it. You can kind of read along, see uh, as we walk through. It's basically a book that's going to take us through uh, the book of Mark in the New Testament. And so um, I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be great. And so as we walk through the life of Jesus, it's, there's some really impactful things you're going to see today where you actually, you'll, you'll notice that we're jumping off into the deep end. And if you feel a little underwater, it's okay. It all makes sense um, in the end. Um, but what I love about it is that we're going to look at the book of Mark, which is fast-paced. It's fast, kind of fast-moving. Um, he recorded the life of Jesus, kind of this fast-paced uh, succession, recording specific events of Jesus. Jesus' life and what Mark's goal was, what he wanted to do is to prove to the reader that Jesus was who he says he was, that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was uh, the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And so I want to encourage you this morning that if you know anybody or you're maybe that's you this morning, you've been kind of walking through thinking about Jesus, um, who he was, who he is, and you have questions, you have, or maybe you know someone who has questions, maybe they're looking into 2020, they're going, I want to maybe look into who Jesus is. This would be a great series to invite them to because we're going to walk through and explore everything who Jesus was, who he said he was, and, and maybe, maybe you invite somebody, they come along and maybe God saves their soul through this series. Would that be cool? We, we do some cool things here. We'll, we'll do some baptisms here later on in the year. Maybe, maybe you can even be the one to dunk them. How about that? Yeah. We'll let, we'll let you both get wet, huh? That'd be fun. So anyways, let's, let's jump in. Mark is going to start off here talking about a character by the name of John the Baptist. Everybody know who John the Baptist is? He was kind of a weird dude. Very interesting guy. Um, he was this guy that the Old Testament prophesied would come before Jesus is going to come. And so the idea in the New, in the Old Testament, it prophesied about this guy and it said, hey, he's going to kind of come before the king. So he's going to walk in and let everybody know, hey, the king is on his way. The Christ is on his way. The king is on his way and kind of prepare everybody for the arrival and the coming of Jesus. So let's let's look at how Mark describes the arrival of John the Baptist here. Mark chapter one, beginning in verse one, like we're starting at the beginning, right? 
He said, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So he's already thrown it back to the prophet who wrote about this happening. He said, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. So this is a prophecy telling us that this John the Baptist guy is going to come and prepare the way for Jesus. So Mark's already pointing out, hey, remember that prophecy? This is it. This is it. Verse 4, it says, John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him, and they were baptizing him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. It says, and John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist, ate locusts and wild honey. Sounds like an interesting guy to hang out with, doesn't it? Like, I was thinking about this this week. John the Baptist would either be a guy who was completely ostracized in 2020, or he'd be, like, famous on Instagram, right? Like, he'd either be super famous, like, this guy's so cool, or like, what a weirdo, right? There's no no in-between with John the Baptist. <laughs> it says, and he proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I, so this is what John the Baptist is saying, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he, he's talking about Jesus, but he, this Jesus guy, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So Mark like I said, is pretty fast-paced, pretty fast-moving. If you read some of the other Gospels, it starts off with, like, genealogies, like, he begot this person, begot this person, begot that, and, like, you're asleep before you get through the first chapter, right? Somebody said, hey, man, right? Mark doesn't do any of that. He doesn't even tell us about how Jesus was born, right? There's no, there's, there's no manger scene. There's no wise men. There's no, he, at the very beginning, he just starts out, and he's like, John the Baptist, Jesus, right? He just begins, And what's interesting about Mark, the way he writes, he tells us through the very first sentence of this book who he thinks Jesus is, or he's telling us who Jesus is from the very first sentence. He says there in verse 1, the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He begins by calling him Jesus Christ. Now, some of us may not know this, but did you know Christ was not Jesus' last name? It wasn't like like Mary Christ, Joseph Christ, right? (laughs) What it wasn't in the family. Christ was a kind of like a nickname or a description of who Jesus was. It's it's a Greek word, Christos, which which means anointed royal figure. So they're calling Jesus the Christ as Jesus this anointed royal figure. And it was a description that the Jewish people would use, not just of an anointed river, but it was a description that they used to describe the coming of the king. And not just any king, but the king to end all kings. So to be called the Christ, what Mark is saying, this Jesus, the Christ, he's the one you've been looking for. He's the one you've been, he's the king that the Jewish people have been anticipating, the Messiah, the king to end all kings, the final king. And so from the very first words of the book of Mark, he's like, here comes Jesus, the Christ, the anointed figure. And then to to take it even further, he doesn't stop with Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. He says, also, he's the son of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if you were here through our Advent uh, series, we talked about this a little bit. Jesus being called the Son of God was one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why he was murdered on the cross. Because to call yourself the Son of God, 
to call yourself the son of God was different than like saying I'm a, I, like it's okay if you were to call yourself the people of God or the children of God, but to call yourself the son of God would be, was a different description altogether. By calling himself, by John calling him, or by Mark calling him the son of God, what he's saying is he has direct lineage to God the Father. Like he is from God the Father. He is of the same essence as God the Father. Like if I were to say my son Gideon is, he's my son, he has my DNA in him. You understand what I'm saying? He's of me. I, he came from me. So to say the son of God is saying he came from God the Father. This is one of the reasons why the Jewish people wanted to kill him. So Mark starts off coming in hot. Like he's like no, again, no birth narrative, no genealogies. The Christ, the anointed Messiah, son of God. Boom. Right? So imagine if you're, you're reading about this for the very first time. This is a lot to take in, isn't it? Like we, we kind of get used to these terms like, yeah, Jesus Christ, son of God. But imagine reading this for the very first time. This is like drinking from a water. Like, like this is coming in fast, right? This is coming in hot. Son of God, God in the flesh, the Christ. Then as if you were not already blown away as the reader of the beginning of Mark, he tells us, so he's the Christ, son of God. Then he says, John baptizes him. And at the baptism, God the Father and the Holy Spirit show up. What? Let's, let's check this out. Verse 9, it says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open. Which Just imagine being there on the scene watching this. He saw the heavens torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from the heavens, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. Imagine reading all this for the first time. Jesus gets baptized, which is going to signal kind of the beginning of his public ministry. Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And what's interesting is, is you'll note that the only other time in scriptures the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit descending like a dove or being like a dove is when it's said in the creation story, when God created in Genesis 1, it says the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, which is pretty cool. It said that, it said that ancient rabbis would translate it like this. They would say, the earth was without form and empty and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God fluttered above the face of the waters like a dove. And God spoke, let there be light. So just like in the creation story, you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So in one moment, Keller says in his book that Mark is pointing us to, reminding us of not just what is going on right there, but pointing us back to creation. When God came in, created all things new from the beginning, that he's saying through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come together. This is a picture of renewal, of God bringing renewal back to the earth through Jesus. Through what Father, Son, Holy Spirit, what theologians call the Trinity. How many of us have heard the Trinity talked about before? As, as I was reading this, I was like, man, we're about to get deep. And maybe you've heard people talk about the Trinity in church. Maybe you've heard like, but you've, or maybe you've even been confused. Like, all right, there's like Jesus and there's the spirit and there's like God, the father. And like, I want to ask questions, but you're afraid to like ask questions because you don't want to sound dumb. Anybody else ever been there before? Yeah. I used to do the same thing in class all the time. I mean, the, the dumb kids, not me. I was the smart kid. I knew. Right. 
If you're feeling that way when we begin to talk about the Trinity, let me assure you um, that the Trinity is one of the most complex and can be one of the most confusing things about who God is. Because what we see the scriptures teach is that God is one. There is one. There is a single God that we worship. We don't, we don't worship many gods. We worship one God. And yet the scripture talks about God as in he's three persons. Right? So there's the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's like, so there's three of them? Yeah, kind of. So there's three gods. No, there's one God. Is anybody else's brain hurting already? Right? It's kind of complex and weird and it's hard to think. One, he's one, but he's also three. What's interesting about the Bible is the Bible is comfortable in this complexity, which is kind of neat. But, but for our purposes today, Mark isn't trying to, he doesn't, he, he doesn't want me to go in here and teach an hour on Trinitarian doctrine. And you're like, thank God, right? What he wants us to do today is he wants us to explore the relationship that the Trinity has within itself. So you have one God, three persons, but is in this relationship with himself. So what he, he wants us to kind of explore and understand how the Trinity exists together, how it relates to one another. And so, so we're going to, we're going to talk about that today because when you see Jesus get baptized, you see God the Father come in and speak words of love and approval over his son. Then you see the, the spirit descend and give Jesus power for his ministry. And what this is, you get Father, Son, Holy Spirit is a beautiful picture of how the Trinity relates to each other and doesn't just relate in that moment, but has been relating for all time. C.S. Lewis calls this the dance. And so today we are um, calling this sermon the dance. Because what this dance is, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit interacting with each other as one God, serving each other, obeying each other, lifting up one another, glorifying each other. What we see is Jesus coming to earth, being obedient to God the Father and serving to mankind's redemption. We see the Holy Spirit lifting Jesus up and empowering Jesus as he serves. We see the the, God the Father speaking words of affirmation and love over over Jesus. What we see in the Trinity as as it interacts with itself and each other is this constant exalting and enjoying and even deferring to one another. There's this constant acceptance and love overflowing. There's each divine person in the Trinity puts the other one at its center and as most important, most loved, most cared for. And I know this sounds complex, but it's a beautiful thing. And what's interesting is as God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit love each other, serve each other, exalt each other, they don't do it within itself to get something back. Like it's not a means to an end. Each part of the Trinity simply loves, exalts, glorifies, seeks the good of each other simply because of who they are. It's a pretty example of service and love. And what's interesting, though, is it's kind of the exact opposite of our human nature, isn't it? Like, we tend to be people, at least maybe just me, maybe y'all are different. I hope so. I hope you're not like me, right? But we tend to be a little self-centered, right? In the Trinity, you see the opposite of that. I I tend to be the type of person, like, this has been very... uh, making me examine my own soul, who's like, hey, I'll love you, and I'll serve you, and I'll give to you as long as I can get something in return. 
And it's even an underlying thing. Like, like we see people leave spouses. Well, I just wouldn't get anything out of that relationship anymore. We see people leave friendships and break. Well, he, he, he or she just wasn't really doing it for me more. I just, I, right. We see people leave churches. Well, I'm not getting enough out of that place anymore. What, what's it all about? I'm the center. They need to fulfill me. What we see in this picture of the Trinity here, even at the very beginning of Mark, is that the Trinity is about lifting up the other person in the Trinity. It's about serving the other person in the Trinity. It's about loving and putting the other person at the center of the Trinity and not putting myself at the center and making everything else revolve around me. What is it that we used to say or we we tell little kids? The world doesn't revolve around you. It's a picture that we're still learning even to this day as adults. What's interesting and I thought was pretty cool is that this picture that God that we see in the Trinity and how the Trinity interacts and serves and loves one another is the same picture, the same calling that God says, hey, husbands and wives, this is how I want you to live out your life. Let's use the husband as an example. Husbands, get ready to get beat up today. Just kidding. You're not. Ephesians 5, 25 through 29. Check this out. God's going to call husbands and wives to the same relationship because he's about relationships. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless in the same way. So he says, here's how God, here's how Jesus loves the church. Here's how Jesus served the church. Here's what Jesus did for the church. In the same way, husbands, love your wives as your own bodies. So he says, love, love her just like you would love yourself. He says, and he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does the church. So he calls the husbands and the relationships to this high, huge calling. Love her just like you love yourself, just like you love yourself. And, and if you were to keep reading, you're like, all right, well, when does it switch around? What does it say? Her do stuff for me. If you keep reading, <laughs> notice It does say some things for the wife to do for the husbands. Okay, it does. But it never says, husbands, do this as long as she. The command is simply love her, serve her, put her at the center, just like I do. Just like the Trinity does with each other. You say, why? Because that's the type of example that we see in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with how they relate, love, serve each other. It's a love without boundaries. It's a sacrificing love. It's a love that doesn't give to receive. It's, it's, a, it's simply love your wife. Why? Because she's your wife. With all that you are, with everything you have, serve her, sacrifice until there's nothing more to sacrifice, give until there's nothing more to give, put her at the center until it's over. Here's what's cool, though. When that love is reciprocated and given in the same way by your spouse, it is an amazing, incredible relationship. And that's what the Trinity has with with one another. That's what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has and lives in with one another. It's a perfect picture of that. And so the the marriage that lives in that is a beautiful picture of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And you're going, okay, Mike, that's that's great. But what exactly does that have to do with new year, new me? (laughs) It has everything to do with it. 
Because the picture of this Trinitarian God, the three in one, is the opposite of what comes natural to us. And what is natural to us is a, is this self-centered life. What is natural to us is this life where everything revolves around me, right? Like, here I am. Like, here's the world. All right. Right. That's what's, that's what is natural to us, right? We, we might say, uh, uh, I have friends or I have relationships as long as I don't really have to compromise anything or as long as I don't have to give too much or as long as you meet my needs. Like you, you might even, we might even say like, hey, I'll give to the poor as long as it doesn't make me uncomfortable, right? What happens in our natural human lives is we live in this self-centeredness that makes everything about me and everything in my life as a means to an end for me. Because what we're doing is we're seeking happiness, aren't we? We're, we're seeking joy. We, we think that if we make everything a means to an end to bring me joy, me happiness, we think we'll find it. But what's interesting about the truths of Scripture and the principles of Scripture is that the opposite is in fact true. And what we see in the picture of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit is not you revolve around me, but let me serve you, love you, give to you. And then as you reciprocate that, as the Son reciprocates that to the Father and the Holy Spirit reciprocates it, it's this beautiful relationship that happens. Amen. Amen. The Trinity shows us, instead of self-centeredness, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the very essence of mutually giving love. No person in the Trinity declares it's more important, demands that others resolve around it. They voluntarily circle around each other, loving each other, self-giving, self-sacrificing service and love to the other. That's a pretty high calling in relationships, isn't it? Now, I know we can't do that and live in that with every person or everything, right, right. But here's what's crazy. Here's the new you, new you, the new year, new you part we were looking for. That's hard to say. New year, new you, right? It's like a tongue twister. You are invited to be a part of that dance. God calls us and invites us to experience that dance with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to experience that type of love, and then in turn, learn how to love in that way. That, that's, that's why Jesus comes to save us. Why? Because when you understand that that's who God is, that, that that's how he sees relationships as this self-giving, self-sacrificing, self-serving thing in love, you see that's the way God loves, then absolutely it makes sense that our God would come and die for his creation, doesn't it? That's who he is. That's the nature of who he is. And so God shows us that, that in our, that in our deepest relationships, this is the way it's meant to live out. And then he calls you into that same type of relationship with him. He says, if you glorify me, if you put me in the center, if you live your life centered around me, you can be a part of the dance and you will see what you were made for. Because God didn't create you to get joy out of you. Did you know that? Again, this sounds mean, but he didn't need you. He had that all in the Trinity. He created you to give you love, to give you joy, to give you life. Say, so what does this mean for me exactly, Mike? Well, it means that there is this beautiful, mutually giving, loving, self-sacrificing, serving relationship that we're calling the dance today that God invites you to enter with him. It's a relationship with him. And so my challenge for you is to enter the dance in 2020. You're like, well, Mike, I'm already a Christian. That doesn't mean you're dancing. I can go to a wedding. That doesn't mean I'm dancing at the wedding, right? Matter of fact, you don't want me dancing at the wedding. I tried earlier this year. I was like, 
My body just doesn't move that way, right? right? Some churches don't allow dancing, and that would have not have qualified as dancing, just so you know. Right? But my challenge for us today is to enter the dance. There's a lot of people that maybe have their toes dipped in the water, but my challenge is to completely enter the dance this year to learn to part of part of a, a relationship like this is trust. And there's some of us who maybe we live in a relationship with God or we we're in the dance kind of sort of, but we don't necessarily fully trust. I want to challenge you in 2020 to trust him. Do as he directs you. Don't be safe. You know, a lot of times we, we trust safety. We try to live in safety, and that keeps us out of what God's trying to direct us. Trust him with your decisions. Trust him with your money. Trust him with your family. Trust him with all that you have. Don't, don't hold back. In 2020, commit to experiencing him. Commit to serving him. Commit to centering him at the center of your life, the centerpiece of your life, and revolve around him. It's my challenge to you in 2020. Commit to fully entering into the dance. And as we do that, I, I do want to warn you that as you enter into the dance, there's something that's going to happen because there is an enemy of the dance. Do you know that? There's an enemy of the dance. As a matter of fact, if we see the temptation of Jesus occurs immediately after he has this incredible moment, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let me, let me read it to you. It says, verse 12, it says, the, the, Immediately the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. If you read different uh, different Gospels, they kind of expand this and talk more about this. But here's what, here's what happens. We have God, or Jesus has this incredible moment with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then is immediately attacked by the devil. Anybody else ever have that happen to you? <laughs> You come in here and you're like, man, Micah's just preaching fire. Or whatever else it might be, right? your podcast that you listen to. right? And then you feel good and you're like, I'm, I'm going to walk in this. I'm going to live in this. I'm going to be in this. And then you walk out immediately and God just attacks you. The times I struggle the most actually are about a few hours after now because I'm tired. <laughs> but Jesus has this incredible moment, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, driven out into the wilderness and gets attacked. And in a broken world, that's what's going to happen. There's going to be evil that comes against you. And, and the early Christians who are reading the Gospel of Mark would absolutely get this because as they're reading this, about the time that Mark's Gospel comes out, he writes it, they're getting thrown in with wild animals and killed and tortured and destroyed for being Christians. What I want us to understand is that the wilderness that Jesus goes into and is tempted by the devil, it's not like this just random thing that happens to him. It's not like, well, that was Jesus, he got tempted. It's going to happen to you too. And what's happening is what we have to understand is that the life, sometimes our lives, is a battleground, and that Christians have a real enemy, <laughs> the devil. And as Jesus calls us into, as God calls us into that relationship, as he calls us into that dance, this self this, this loving relationship with Jesus, there is going to be an enemy, Satan, who's going to try to pull you out of the dance. Pull you out of that, distract you away from the dance. What we see when Satan comes and attacks Jesus and tries to tempt Jesus, what he does to Jesus, if you go through and read the gospels that have it, uh, that expound on it, and I would encourage you to do that today. Uh, if you see what Satan does to Jesus, he tries to get him to not trust the Father. 
He says, hey, Jesus, don't trust the Father. Trust yourself. That's the same thing the devil's going to tempt you with. Don't don't trust God. Don't trust, trust yourself. Trust your own abilities. Hey, another thing he tempts you, don't let God give the glory. Don't, don't glorify God with your life. Hey, glorify yourself. Make it about you. And he's going to tempt Jesus to center this thing around you. Protect yourself, Jesus. And in 2020, as you go, hey, I'm going all in. I'm going to enter the dance. I'm going on. Those are the same temptations the devil's going to come at you with. Hey, you, you, you can't really, you can't really trust God. You, you can't, you can't really center your life around God. You can't really, no, no, he doesn't really have your best interest at heart. He's, he's probably not even real, man. Somebody made him up. You need to know, Christian, that as you enter the dance, that you're in a battleground. And so I want to encourage you in 2020, New Year's resolution, wake up every day prepared to resist the tax. Satan wants to pull you out. He wants to distract you. He wants to cause you to stop trusting. He wants you to doubt God's goodness. He wants you to doubt God's faithfulness. He wants you to center your life around yourself. But like Jesus was prepared, I want to encourage you, Christian, in this place who's entering into the dance, be prepared in the battleground. And don't just be prepared to resist the fights, but be prepared to do a little damage yourself. Amen? Maybe you go in and you kick Satan's butt yourself, right? With Jesus. <laughs> don't go alone. <laughs> that did not go well. Well, yeah, it wasn't going to go well, right? That was not going to go well. <laughs> but be prepared for the fight. Because there's this beautiful dance that God calls you into. And he says, I want you to be a part of this loving, trusting relationship. I want you to center me at the center of your life and trust me. And there will be an enemy who tries to pull you out. It says, don't trust God with your money. Don't trust God with your time. Don't trust God with your service. Don't trust God with your love. And those are lies, lies, lies that are intended to pull you out of the dance. Even you're like, well, I'm a Christian. That doesn't mean that the devil can't still defeat you. Doesn't mean he can't distract you. Doesn't mean he can't pull you out of the dance. So be prepared for the battle. Be prepared for the fight. And after we just got real sad and lonely and depressed, let me encourage you with this. In 2020, enjoy the dance. Because no matter how bad you dance, like I was playing earlier, dancing was intended to be fun. Matter of fact, the people who dance the worst are usually having the most fun, aren't they? Yeah. Just free, you know, like. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking of Elaine on Seinfeld. You ever seen her dance? Yeah, that was, that's awful, right? But she was having fun. Enjoy the dance. Because yes, it's a battleground, but guess what? Jesus has already won. Satan is already defeated. He's already conquered. What God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have, ex- have a, are experiencing and have experienced for all eternity, they offer to you. Sometimes we think about coming into the dance or coming into the relationship with God and we think of it as like this begrudging submission. We think of it as this bad name. Oh, I gotta be. No, it is a relationship of love that is meant to be enjoyed, life given, freedom experienced. And so I'd encourage you as you dance, Dance with a smile on your face. You can't dance and not smile. Dance with a smile on your face. Enjoy the relationship that God has for you this year. He calls us to, Jesus calls us into one of the most beautiful relationships that has ever existed. It's completely self-giving, sacrificing. What's crazy about it is that everything that you are is vulnerable and exposed. And like, it can be like, 
It's not that safe, right? You're exposed. And yet you will have never been more safe, more loved, more free. You Christians can be in a beautiful dance in 2020. And so let me challenge you and encourage you. Enter into the dance. Be prepared for the battle. But dance with a smile on your face. Enjoy the dance. We're going to take communion in a moment and sing another song. And as, as we do that, I want to challenge you to consider your own dance. What, what I mean by that is consider, where am I not trusting? Where am I not giving? Where am I not loving? Am I, am I all in on this thing? Is, is if, if there's a center in my life, is Jesus, is God, the Holy Spirit, is it really there? Am I existing around it, revolve around or am I trying to make this thing work where it's around me? And so we're going to pray and take communion and sing. And I want to just challenge you to examine your heart. Where am I at on this dance? Am I fully in? And what's beautiful is that as we take communion, the purpose of communion is to remind us of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his body represented by the bread that was broken for us, his blood, which is represented by the juice that we drink, has poured out for us. Why? So that we could have salvation and life so that, so that we could enter into the dance. And why did he even go to the cross? Because of the dance. So I'm going to pray, and you consider that in your heart this morning, River Church. God, I love you. Thank you for who you are, God. Thank you for this incredible dance that you call us into, Jesus. Despite our failures, despite our flaws, despite of what 2019 looked like, 2020 can be lived in a vibrant, loving, giving, sacrificing relationship with you. And if we enter into it, if we go all in, it's going to be maybe scary at times. It's going to be vulnerable. It's going to be, we'll be exposed. And yet it's the most beautiful, incredible thing we could ever be a part of. And so God, I pray this morning for the people in here who maybe they've never entered into the dance. Maybe they've never lived in a relationship with you. And I pray this morning over this room that they would enter in today. That they would say, today's the day I'm giving. I want to give my life to you, Jesus. I want to come into this thing, Jesus. I want to, I want to give it up. I want to go all in. I want to, I want to, I want to become a Christian today. And so I pray if there's anybody in this room that they would surrender their lives to you today, that they would give it over to you today, Jesus. They would go all in today, God. Today I want to pray over the people who kind of have their toe dipped in. Maybe they're in a little bit. They're not all in. They've never fully decided to be vulnerable. They've never fully decided to self, be self-sacrificing. They've never, they've never fully gone into the dance with you. I pray that they would go all in today, God. That 2020 would mark the beginning of something really new. Like not fake new, really new with you, God. That they would experience that vibrant love, that vibrant dance, that vibrant life with you, Jesus. I even want to pray this morning for my spirit, the, the, the person maybe who's been trying to dance, but they feel discouraged or they feel down or they feel, uh, you're saying joy, Mike, but I just, I haven't been feeling it. Maybe they've been trying to go all in and it's just, they haven't been feeling it. I pray that they would experience you new and fresh today, Jesus, that they would walk in and they just can't help but dance out of here, God because of what you're doing in your life. I pray that you would give them something new and fresh in their spirit this morning.
that they would walk in life in 2020. They'd walk in freedom in 2020. God, I love you, Jesus, and we worship you for these truths. In Christ's name, amen.